Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Second Chance Cinema with MC and Spro. I am Rudy, the review reader, and today I'm going to read a review for Sudden Death, written by Mick LaSalle, a film critic for the San Francisco Chronicle. Sudden Death makes Van Damme cool on ice, June 14th, 1996. Sudden Death. Action, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme and Powers Booth, directed by Peter Yimes. I don't, I don't know if we need that part. It's like, just, I don't know what that is. Okay. Sudden Death is one of the best action thrillers of 1995. It's also the film Jean-Claude Van Damme has been building up to for 10 years, marking his arrival as a top-flight action star. The story takes place at Pittsburgh Civic Arena, where two hockey teams, the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Chicago Blackhawks, are going at it for the championship before a crowd that includes the Vice President of the United States. Powers Booth plays Foss, a dissatisfied intelligence officer run amok. He kidnaps the Vice President and demands more than $1 billion. His plan seems impregnable, but he forgot one thing, Darren, the arena security guard. As Darren, Van Damme is handsome, likable, and also young and agile enough to make you believe that he's capable of swinging from a light fixture into the owner's box while throwing a bomb. No one does vile and hateful like Booth. As Foss, he lights a cigarette, smirks, tells a few jokes, and kills people. And from then on, you can't wait for him to get it. Wait, wait, that's it? That's the whole review? This movie's dope. I'm just gonna say that. And you need to check it out. And you should probably listen to MC and Spro list all the reasons why you should check this movie out. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to yet another nail-biting episode of Second Chance Cinema. I am one of your hosts, MC. With me always is... That was your cue. Spro. <laughs> there we go. I, th- I should have given you a heads up. I wanted to try something a little different, but that's what that was. And our special guest for today, a film aficionado, published author, and great impressionist, which... As I was watching this movie, I thought to myself, is there any room for one of his gold medal <laughs> impressions in this discussion? Possibly there are. I'm Jeremy, good. Jeremy, I'm how are you? I'm very excited to discuss peak Van Damme, mid-90s Van Damme at the height of his powers. This was the height of Van yes. Damage, as it were. Spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about the 1995 Jean-Claude Van Damme opus, Sudden Death which uh, stars JCVD as a French-Canadian fire marshal who finds himself intertwined with a disgraced Secret Service agent's ransom plot at the Stanley Cup Finals. So I have many questions, though I love this movie dearly. This was the – I was trying to think about this. This was the third movie that I – bootlegged by renting it from Blockbuster and copying it because there was a way to do that. The first one was Die Hard with a Vengeance. The second one was Judge... No, because this came out... I don't remember when Judge... I was going to say 95 was a big Um, year for your piracy because those were all 1995 movies. So then I suppose I can't say with galvanized confidence that this was the third one, but it was in the first batch of of MC's uh, VHS piracy. Like we mentioned, this was at Van Damme's peak. Previously, we had Hard Target sort of ramped things up. Street Fighter, which even though, you know, we have a soft spot for it on this show, like there's, I see every now and then there's a lot of love being thrown at the the camp behind Street Fighter lately. I've, I've, every once in a while, I'll, I'll see an article that's been written like, you know, however many years later it is. And they're like, you know, for as shitty as it was, it wasn't really a bad movie. And I'm reading it saying, Spro and I said that like four years ago. So late to the party on that. Um, After that, we had Time Cop, I believe. And then this movie, Sudden Death, just kind of capped off the the four horsemen of Mm -hmm. of Van Damme. And Jeremy, you brought this movie to us. You, You presented this movie to us. Let's let's talk about sudden death. Tell so us I why. have a, a strange obsession, I think, with with Van Dam, the arc of Van Dam's career, because it's so clearly defined, and I have that inside experience of working as uh, an intern at Universal Pictures in the publicity department during this time 
and hearing, getting to sit in on meetings and hearing people talking about Van Damme, like he was the next big, big thing. Like he was, he was going to have a Schwarzenegger level career. This was not going to stop with Time Cop and Hard Target and Sudden Death. It was just going to keep going, keep going, keep going. And as we've talked about before, I think I brought this up elsewhere. At the time that this movie was coming out, he was deep in production on The Quest, which he directed. And uh, I believe he wrote it as well. And this was being talked about internally at Universal Pictures as <laughs> legit his like his dances with wolves like or Braveheart came out in ninety five and they were like this is like his Braveheart it's his passion project he's writing it he's directing it and they were going to push this movie to the moon and it was supposed to come out <laughs> it was supposed to come out. Right around the time of sudden death, in time for award season, <laughs> they wanted this movie. <laughs> they legitimately wanted to put this movie out there as a contender for the Oscars. Needless to say, that did not happen. The movie ended up coming out in the spring of '96. This is this is this, this is, is wait, this is yes. the quest we're talking but about, not sudden like, death. At the time, it was okay. just interesting because Van Damme was being touted as the hot thing, and the quest was the was going to be the the capstone of this uh, meteoric rise. Well, let's be fair. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I suppose box office would be the the metric, but like Van Damme was a big deal. Like he what he his his career was less probably diverse than than Schwarzenegger. He never did a kindergarten mm-hmm. cop type, you know, departure from from what he was good at. But like he's legendary. Uh, when it comes to being an action star, like he's he's probably one of the first people you would think of. I mean, I would think of him before Stallone. I would think of him probably in league with Schwarzenegger. It's it's one of those things where you're like, oh, he should have been bigger, but he he right. was really he was huge. Like he was just monstrous in his popularity, and all that came from all that came yeah. from Bloodsport. You know, like the defining movie, the, one of the defining martial arts movies of all time. Just kind of showcasing, here's this like good looking guy, clean cut physique, brilliant martial artist. And, you know, he's not Daniel Day-Lewis, but he could act kind of like yeah. he he could. If you look at what he's done since, like if you look at his entire filmography, JCVD is like, even though it's critically acclaimed, it's it's so underrated. There's that whole monologue he does, that weird thing where he like is in a he's in like a stage and it rises up above the set and he does this monologue and starts crying and stuff. And it's like, man, why weren't you doing that mm-hmm. in the nineties? Like you could have been the next well, big thing beyond. That's what the I'm next saying. And, and what I'm, like I wanted to be clear that like the Universal's hype and their their excitement and enthusiasm about this guy was not unfounded. It wasn't crazy talk. Like they, but they were hitting the gas on him in such a big way. And it's just, I think, in hindsight now, when you look back on it, he didn't have that Schwarzenegger level career. You know, he he was kind of like a comet. You know, he or a, a shooting star. He, he burned very bright and then flamed out. And I think the quest, you know, had it gone a different way, which I don't know, you know. Uh, had it been his brave heart or his dances with wolves, we may have had a whole different conversation. And and this could be a good opportunity for our studio executive <laughs> uh, to join the uh, to join the conversation. I was thinking about that earlier today, and I was trying to think of a name for him. You're gonna be a star, double team. <laughs> We're gonna put you with Dennis Rodman. It's amazing. Who would have thought of this? Only a genius like me. <laughs> Um, Spro, you've been a little bit quiet because we've been a little bit loud. I don't know if I know your thoughts on Van Damme aside from Street Fighter. And I know that when we talk about Street Fighter, your reverence is is appreciated because you know how much I love it. But Van Damme, I mean, this is kind of like dipping your toe. I know you watched Time Cop recently. Now you're watching Sudden Death. Like, tell us your thoughts. Yeah. Well, I always loved Van Damme. Van Damme, I think I mentioned it once on the show and you were like, I don't, I don't know if I could picture that. My best friend growing up whose also name was Matt. He looked like a mix between Nelly the Rapper and Jean-Claude Van Damme. If you picture a mix between those two, that's what he looked like as like an eight-year-old. <laughs> oh, wow. I was almost there until you said like an eight-year-old and that just, the AI in my brain just shut down. So, but I've always liked Jean-Claude Van Damme. I like his like lesser known works. Like I own the VHS of Nowhere to Run and Maximum Risk. Like those two movies, like I really enjoyed. Time Cop, I saw it once and I remember my 
my father being like, it's actually got a plot, which I appreciate. But as I was going down the wormhole of this movie, I didn't realize that his co-writer on The Quest was Frank Dukes. Frank Dukes. Who, who is actually a real person. Bloodsport, yeah. Yeah, that Jean-Claude played in Bloodsport. And then when they wrote The Quest together, there was a falling out and Frank tried to sue Jean-Claude Van Damme. The other thing that I found really interesting was that it wasn't until The Expendables 2 coming out in 2012 that he had a wide release film since 1999. So when we were talking about like his career tanked, like his career just went into like the straight to VHS shit heap, I guess. <laughs> I it mean, I'm greatly went down. I'm trying to come up with some of the movies that he did during that time and I can't come up with actual titles, but they're all something like Eagle's Talon and like yeah, the, like re- well, Replicant yeah, and just, Second in Command, Wake of Death, like Inferno. Fight. It's it's like yeah, it's it's just <laughs> yeah. a collection of nouns and yes. adjectives and prepositions, uh, yes. like like assassination games. There's, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a title generator on punch weapon. Somewhere. But like I remember seeing him in Cyborg, and there was a story where like I think Sylvester Stallone's house was it where he challenged Steven Seagal to a fight, and Steven Seagal was like, I don't want any part of this, and. So Steven Seagal walked away from the fight and then Jean-Claude found him in a nightclub and Steven Seagal was like, I don't want to fight you here either. And Stallone was like, Seagal wanted none of Van Damme smoke. Like, really? I didn't know that. Seagal is a, yeah. just an egregious piece of shit for many reasons. Because Seagal was around this time too. Under Siege was what, 92, I think, ish. And he had that same slew of movies that were like, you know, adjective preposition noun like all of those mm. like march for death whatever well in 1995 he was it was under siege 2 dark territory mm. was his 1995 film and then executive decision was 96 which he was yeah. in for all of like 15 seconds and he sucked the whole time but we digress <laughs> we we digress it was funny seeing him get sucked out of the plane though like all it needed was a, all it needed was like a wee or, or the Wilhelm scream or something like that. But we digress. But yes, I to answer the original question, I like Jean-Claude Van Damme. He, is, he was part of my childhood, right? He was part of the Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Sylvester Stallone action movie mayhem that we went through with the 80s and 90s. And it was... That's a good way to describe <laughs> it. It was, it was mayhem. So speaking of mayhem, this is the part of the show where we bring out the wheel of poetry. And I say mayhem because it's usually at this point that our special guest is like, oh, I forgot about the wheel of poetry, even though I've done it like 50 times. And we just did Battleship like (laughs) a couple of months ago. It was was not long ago. It was not long (laughs) ago. So the wheel of poetry, we have a wheel of fortune type wheel and on it are six different types of poetry. Uh, We have ABAB, we have limerick, we have haiku, we have acrostic, and then we have a toast slash roast option, and we have a song parody option. So what we're going to do is we're going to spin the wheel. Whatever it lands on, we're all going to find out together. That's the exciting part. That's the mayhem part. Spiro's going to play the trailer, and we're going to have the length of the trailer to compose something magical in the vein of whatever the wheel lands on. Mm -hmm. You guys ready? All right, here goes. Limerick. And I don't know the last time we did a limerick. I feel like it was the rundown with Rudy. Oh, maybe it was. All right. Well, I can see Jeremy's wheels turning and I know that I'm I'm ready to go. So, Spro, why don't you queue up the trailer for 1995's Sudden Death? As we get ready for the seventh and final game of the Stanley Cup Finals, you can feel the electricity in the air, and there's no question, it just sends a chill up your spine, Paul. That's a fact, Mike. And to make things even more exciting, the Vice President of the United States is here this evening. Don't leave your seats. Doesn't look too good. 911 emergency services. I'm calling you from the Civic Arena. The vice president is being held hostage in the owner's box. And they've got my daughter too. What is your objective? One billion seven hundred million dollars. We're still evaluating the situation. They want money, a lot of it. Give it to them. Do not try any kind of rescue. Do you understand me? If you're not gonna pay, say so. I'll get my daughter. When the game ends, everyone in this box and in this arena will die by explosion, fire, and panic. Tonight. 
17,000 hockey fans have been taken hostage. Enough bombs have been planted in this building to stop all the clocks in the hemisphere. But only one of them knows it. I'm going to try to stop you. I know where the bombs are, so I know where you're going. Then come and get me. We are going to do this by the numbers. What number was that? Now he has more to lose than anyone. I said no vehicles on the grounds, no helicopters in the air. What part of that did you not understand? Jean-Claude Van Damme. Powers boost. that's the first time I've ever heard Powers Booth's name <laughs> said out loud. <laughs> and that's not a knock because he was pretty awesome in this, I think. Like, I know who Powers Booth is. I've seen his name. But when I was like reading the Wikipedia or whatever, I was like, Powers Booth, like, who is Powers Booth? And then I, you know, highlighted the name. I was like, oh, that guy. That we guy. should do a, uh, just a podcast called that. Just like eight episodes. Who is Powers the Booth? The Booth of Powers. It could be like the Winnebago Man special. Like, we just... You know, just devote everything to to Powers Booth. All right, who wants to go like, first? Well, I knew him from Twenty Four. What else is he in? He was in Frailty, which is a Second Chance Cinema ringer that I've I've I know I've mentioned to you. Uh, <clears throat> all, right. all right, I'll go first. Go for it. Hit Limerick. us, bro. There once was a French Canadian named Darren McCord, a fire marshal with a certain set of skills in store. He's got three periods plus one. To make a terrorist plot undone and save a stadium of people plus two more. That was nice. Oh, that's very nice. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right. Um, you know what? I'll go next. Jeremy will save you for last. And I, ironically, although I suppose not, there's not a lot to work with here in terms of sudden death poetry. Mine starts basically the same way. There once was a man named McCord. His presence was sorely ignored. He rescued his daughter. Bad guys he did slaughter all while players nice. were crashing the boards. That's a good summary. <laughs> nice. What? All right, Jeremy. All right. Uh, Jeremy, you're up. It's Jean-Claude versus Powers Booth. Van Dan's behind the scenes playing Sleuth. Things are going to get dicey. He'll kick the shit out of Icy and toss some guys off of the roof. That yeah, was, that was the winner. That was easily the winner. That was so good. Let's yeah. just start there. Icy the Penguin is the first person, the first person that he fights yeah. and the first person he kills in this movie is the, the mascot of the Pittsburgh Penguins named Iceberg, a.k.a. Icy, who the real player is 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 murdered we learn and she's been somehow her outfit is uh which is a big mascot costume of a penguin in a hockey jersey <laughs> is a perfect fit for this gigantic amazon henchwoman that van damme beats the shit out of in a kitchen yeah. and kills I her mean, with a dishwasher whole fight scene i got a few i got a lot to say about that that scene uh, so much please so much please to get oh. because, well i gotta digress a moment because one thing i in, that i read in my research, my, my my sudden death research, which I like to do on the side, even separate from this podcast, is that this movie was <laughs> pitched uh, based on an idea by the wife of the owner of the Penguins, which I had this vision of like, you know, uh, Wayne's World, like, this is where the magic happens. Like, just like the wife, like, I want to make movies too. Like, I'm going to be a singer <laughs> and a dancer and make the videos, like, and coming to America. <laughs> So I was like, so this, so this was made with the blessing of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and they allowed their mascot to get the shit kicked out of it. And I was thinking, like, I was like, would they let that happen to like Mister Met? Yeah, like horribly, horribly, agree, like like violence in in the kitchen with like so many so many different scenarios yeah. for they put her death, hands in the like deep fryer, deep fryer, horribly. the the, the bone saw, the. Um, was deli the, the deli, the all the and cleavers? He, but it, he puts the red pepper flakes in their eye holes. So I was like, I, you know, like somebody had to go around the kitchen, like, all right, let's just see what do we have here. Okay, we've got the deli meat slicer. Let's use that. Deep fryer. Somebody's definitely getting getting deep fried. Oh, wait, there's eye holes here. Can we pour something in there? Red pepper flakes. The weird thing about the deep fryer is like 
they it was yeah. they were currently cooking French. They fries. left it yeah, on. And the game like, goes on. Right for who knows for how long. So people because got French that, fries. It, <laughs> the yeah. <rest> that <laughs> well, because no, but that that wasn't like the concession stand. Well, that was right. like the executive kitchen. Like yeah, the, they cleared it out. Yeah, they, they like, cleared it out. Get done cooking. Were. You're everybody's gone. So somebody forgot to turn off the deep fryer. Well, I know. The one thing I want to point out though, Karen Baldwin is the wife of the Pittsburgh Penguins owner, and she's a French Canadian producer. She uh, has also produced another Second Chance Cinema movie uh, what's starring Kevin Bacon. Death Sentence? Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. she so won an Oscar real, yeah. for Ray starring Jamie Foxx about Ray Charles. And then they did Mystery Alaska was another hockey film that they did. I was about to say we should try to get her on the show and talk about it. But then you said she's an Oscar winner and I thought, mm, And oh, The no. Hurricane Heist was another one that Whoa, she did. Oh, The Hurricane Heist. <laughs> so... Yes. So back to so Van Damme. How do they the let the? How do the Penguins? Because <laughs> um, I'm thinking, like, would like would the you know the Philly fanatic? Will they allow him to get the shit kicked out of him, or, or Mr. Met? It's like, <laughs> or Slider, or the. So the this movie was 95. Spro, you and I went to college in, from 2000 2004. I was a dishwasher at the dining hall. Every time I went in for my shift and had to use one of those big awesome dishwasher things i thought of nothing else for like probably the whole four hours i was just like oh this is where i see the penguin died (laughs) and it's so it's just so gruesome and silly at the same time i don't know it's just a very very interesting dynamic i guess and then they engage in this really like like you said cleverly choreographed fight that made use of a kitchen beyond the, the the knives and and probably the typical munitions that you might find in one all all around i think this movie was very clever about their use of the space like i mean they looked at obviously they did their research on the former mellon arena pittsburgh civic center it was like retractable roof well let's make sure we use that you know and even like you know um oh no then in the uh back room where they're sharpening the skates like so my biggest gripe with this movie my biggest gripe with this movie is that there was not a scene where, and there was a perfect opportunity for it, where Van Damme puts on an ice skate and yeah. kicks somebody in the throat. Like that, that would have been such, like, because there's the part where he impersonates the goalie to get away from the bad guys. He comes back into the equipment room. He's taking off all his skates and stuff, and then he gets ambushed. And it's like, man, how hard would it have been for him to do his Van Damme split kick, his jump spinning split kick especially because he already like wore the ice skates being a goalie like when he's like standing against the wall and he's like looking around the corner he already stands like a goalie like usually in his movies you know so when he like donned the goalie outfit i was like that's perfect because he's already like hunched over and he's always kind of like ape-like in his movements He's predator-like. That's why he was going to be the predator, (laughs) right? So according to writer Randy Feldman, who wrote the first draft of the screenplay for the movie as a comedy action movie parody, the only scene that remained in the finished film was the scene where Von Dom fights the penguin mascot. And we're lucky that it did. We're we're blessed (laughs) by that that piece of cinema. Like that's the first the first interaction with any bad guys that he has. So he had, he doesn't know what's going on. So he goes to find the security guard and he says something like, I just got beat up by a giant penguin or like, or the, the, the security guard questions him. And he's like, what about the big penguin? And the security <laughs> guard's like, we'll page it too. <laughs> like just, just referring to this penguin yeah. as if it was an actual penguin for the better part of that scene. Did any of you notice or, did it click the 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 diversity of the henchmen that were in this movie? Not necessarily racially, because I, from what I recall, aside from the corrupt FBI agent, we'll get to him in a minute. There was only there was one black henchman, but there was like I guess maybe diversity isn't the right Uh-oh. word, but there was just such an assortment of characters, like the classic '90s '80s guy with with the yep. the mullet and the uh, the mm-hmm. earring, the single earring, right? Then I think like the second or third guy Van Damme kills is like legitimately a 75 <laughs> year old man, like with a gun, just like this big machine gun. And he, he, he meets him in the hallway and I forget what exchange they have, but I remember watching it. And I was like, that guy, that's somebody's grandpa. Like if there was a backstory behind this guy, like if he was the baddest ass, you know, sniper from World War II or something like that, if there was like a an Expendables level character backstory maybe but like <laughs> this was just some old guy who van damme dispatches of then there was of course the woman inside the penguin costume and then there was the sleazy 
guy who gave me more like John Leguizamo vibes, but like. And he later comes back and is the helicopter pilot, right? Oh, you're right. I didn't catch that because he's got that big um, ruffled tuxedo shirt. (laughs) Did not catch that. I remember watching the helicopter part and I was like, what is this guy's deal? Like (laughs) he just, he's, he's dressing up for game seven, but the henchmen in this movie were just like all over the place. And then there was the one giant black dude who looked like, yeah. kind of reminded me of The Rock. I thought it was Farouk for a minute. Farouk? <laughs> this brings me to something I was going to reference in my sudden death research, which I thought was interesting, is one of the henchmen was played by this guy named Joffrey Brown, who has an interesting story, right? Oh, He's the I know relief exactly pitcher for is. the Cubs. He played one inning. He was in Jurassic Park. He was in Universal Soldier. He was the guy at the beginning that's, of Jurassic Park who yeah, gets exactly. sucked into the yeah. raptor cage. Right? He is, he, yeah. He was a fascinating guy. He was he was a he had one appearance in the major leagues, like Moonlight Graham, and then he went off to uh this incredible career in in a, in an industry and at a time when black stuntmen were harder to you know, were not harder you know, had a harder time breaking in. So let's talk about the logistics of this movie. I wanna know, did Powers Booth well, so first of all, why – and I don't mean to say this to be like callous, but for some reason, the vice president didn't strike me – not the actor, but like the concept of it – didn't strike me as like that high stakes, right? Like, I mean, if it was the president, like, oh, the president's been kidnapped, like classic, right? That's a classic um, classic situation where, you know, we need a hero. But like – and I'm not to say not to say that the vice president is expendable or, <laughs> you know, disposable, but – I mean, to me, though, like, yeah, it was the vice president in the booth and there's like a symbol there. But for me, it was the 10 bombs all throughout the stadium and the 17,000 people that were right. But you never held hostage. You never heard whenever the FBI talked about it or whenever there was chatter about like, here's the situation. It always went back to the vice president's up there. And I'm with you. I'm like, well, what about what about the 18,000 people who are there, too? Yeah. Well, I think like to the FBI and the Secret Service and the CIA, like all the government officials, I think they hold the vice president a little bit more esteem than we do. <laughs> you know, like that's their guy, like that they're having to protect. Because it it's like we're like, like their boss, like like if, yeah. if, if they save him, they'll get a bonus maybe or something like that. Well, that's definitely. Not a, not a serious, that's they, not a my thinking was they but. had to figure out like a high value <laughs> target that seemed believable that they would go to a hockey <clears> game. <throat> so it's like, whereas like the mayor is not, the mayor of Pittsburgh is, isn't that exciting. The president's not really believable that he's going to go to a, a Stanley Cup game. So then let's work our way backwards. Line of succession. Okay. Vice president. That'll have to do. I mean that I get it. That's fair. I get it. And to and and you know the 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 goal anyway didn't have anything to do with the actual mm-hmm. vice president. It was all about money. So I suppose that like the leverage is there. Like I get it. But the whole time I was thinking like well, it's just the vice president. Like and the mayor. The mayor's there too. But to kind of like tie your two points together, I wish there was a movie called like Henchmen where it was like an Ocean's Eleven, but from the bad guy side. Because I really <laughs> just want to see Powers Booth put together his team. You know, like. Like, or oh, man. Alan Rickman from Die Hard. Oh, like, yeah. oh, we need we need to bring in this guy from <laughs> the, Venezuela oh, or something yeah. like that. Like the the, um, <laughs> the Joker and his goons. Like, yeah, that's a great idea. That's a great <laughs> idea. But my question was, how did Powers Booth know there was going to be a game seven? <laughs> like, wouldn't it have been more realistic if he did it at like you know game three? Because we know there's going to be a game three. That is very true. Good point. I mean, Maybe this right. was just he was just waiting for a game seven. Like it didn't even have to be hockey. He was waiting for like NBA finals or Oh, I like, see. And then it's like he was gonna be like, ah, we'll just do the Super Bowl if this doesn't work out in any other sport. So do you think he was watching the <laughs> Pittsburgh Penguins for the past like this ten years year, and just being let down <laughs> every time they didn't make it to game seven? Well you can't I mean you gotta imagine like most of the <clears throat> arenas are pretty much structured the same, right? Like this could have been any arena. Oh, well, I mean, the hockey team probably, I mean, they play in the same, it's it's the same arena, you know, the, um, when it was the, who were the Cleveland, what was the Cleveland hockey team? The Lumberjacks played, you know, at the Gund Arena, the Cavs play there. So yeah, he might've, he might've been fixated on the, uh, the locale of the arena, but the, the gravity and knowing that the vice president was going to be at game seven, I mean, that's a lot of, that's, that's kind of a lot of guesswork, I feel like. That kind of un- undermines the whole movie for me now. What, what's the? <laughs> I never I'm thought sorry. about it. Jer- it's true. <laughs> Jeremy and I were talking about um, whether or not he was a hockey fan. Are you a hockey fan? 
MC? Um, hockey is too fast for me. I dated a girl when I lived in New York and she was a big Rangers fan and I went to some of the games with her and it was fun. But like the, the, I, I don't know, the puck, it's like, it's kind of like golf. Like you can't follow the golf ball and there's not a camera on the puck all the time. So it was, it's hard for me to, to get into it. And I feel like at this point in my life, like I'm pretty dialed into football, basketball and baseball are more cursory. I don't know if I have time to learn a new sport. <laughs> That's exactly what Jeremy said. I mean, I loved playing Blades of Steel when I was a kid for the fights. Um, although hockey fights still make me laugh just because it's like, it just seemed, I don't know. I just, I guess I just don't understand the the rules for lack of a better term. Like, like when does the ref decide to let him fight and when does the ref break it up? And there are a certain amount of time they're allowed to fight for or do they just go until someone's teeth get knocked out? It's very nebulous. Then they go until somebody goes on the ground, like hits the ice. It's very nebulous to me. You know, it's kind of up there with like soccer where I absolutely respect it because it's something that I would just fumble and fall and break every bone in my body. But I can't quite make that leap. I don't know. I know the Penguins are one of the most popular teams in the Be- NHL. Because of their dead mascot. <laughs> well, I'm like Bing, uh, not Bing Crosby. Fuck. What was the Sydney Crosby. <laughs> Sydney Crosby. Because of him and everything like that. Like, so I wonder if he was just, he knew that the Penguins were always going to bring a a lot of audience. And then he was just waiting for the proper time or a lot of crowd. And so then he knew that the numbers game was in his favor. He was always going to kill about 15 to 17,000 people. And then it just so happened that this day was when the vice president was coming. And so he was like, oh, sweet. So the vice president was the cherry on top. He always thought he was going to get a mayor there. And then he could, you know, Know, capture the city of Pittsburgh hostage. So I'm just trying to. All like, I'm saying is Jeremy's love of the movie. I'm just trying to bring it back so Jeremy can appreciate it. All I'm saying <laughs> is a lot of ducks had to line up in a row perfectly <laughs> for Powers Booth to pull that off. And you know what? If he was waiting for ten years for a game seven, and then he finally got it, and he was like, "It's go time, guys." He calls up the henchman with the earring, calls up his grandpa and all the other guys, and they're like, "This is the greatest." Maybe that's day why the guy life. was so old. I get it. I've been waiting for this. Since 1963. <laughs> oh, man. So we've glossed over the introduction of the corrupt FBI agent, Matthew Hallmark, who is the recipient, I guess, of one of the greatest punchlines in action movie history, um, which I did not understand upon first viewing when I was 14. Even repeated viewings did not quite get, and then it finally clicked. His last name's Hallmark. And when he calls into Powers Booth, Powers Booth learns his name and he says, oh, I'm glad the FBI cared enough to send their very best, which is, of course, a nod to Hallmark greeting cards. Now, my my question is, because that is such a specific joke, do you think that they named him Hallmark first and then they were like, oh, hey, let's play on this? Or do you think somebody desperately wanted to make that joke? So they wrote a character named Hallmark it, into the I script. I want the former to be true, but it feels very much like the latter. Like, because this show, this script is riddled with a lot of, like, Powers Booth gets a lot of, like, punny one liners. And, like, I feel like this is coming out of the Quentin Tarantino era where bad guys and villains had to be quippy and had to make a lot of pop culture y kind of, you know, references. So, and, and, and this feels like a, a like a, you know, dollar store version of that. And so I feel like, like, let's, let's like, what are some, what are some catchphrases he could say? Well, this is actually, it's too early for show me the money, but he goes, where's the beef? Uh, you know, this, and, and there's like, Oh, wait a minute. What about Hallmark? Would you care <laughs> to send the very best? All right. Well, how can we do that? Could they, could they, you know, could they send him a, a bomb and a package? No, that's too much. What if one of the guys is called Hallmark? Go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wonder if it does that count as product <laughs> placement? Hallmark want to be associated with, uh, with that type of. I don't. I mean, you know, it seems like this movie exists in a void where nobody cares about their product. I mean, that's the, true. I see the penguin the world got where slaughtered. I see could die violently. Um, Anything can happen. You know, maybe maybe there was a toss up between like Hallmark and American Greetings, and and Hallmark saw the script and they were like, "That's money. We want we want Powers Booth to I, say yeah, exactly I that." It was give him <clears> just <throat> give him quips. The writer of this that was somebody's assignment. The writer of this movie wrote three police academies and loaded weapon one right before sudden death <laughs> and Operation right? Dumbo Drop. So he was in that zone. He was definitely in that yeah. zone. He was definitely yeah. He was definitely he working. Was like I know yeah. what my strengths are. Yeah. I know why you hired me. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys are doing a Van Damme movie? Is it for kids? Because because I got you. 
911 Emergency Services, Officer Lyons speaking. My name is Darren McCord. I'm calling you from the Civic Arena, 555-1923. This is not a crank call. The Vice President is being held hostage in the owner's box. And they've got my daughter, too. This is Sergeant Kurtz. Uh, where in the building are you calling from? Where? The executive offices. Yeah? Mr. McCord? Matthew Hallmark, Secret Service. What's your situation? Closey. How long have you known what's going on in Assume here? Assume we don't. Someone is holding the owner's box and everybody in it, including my kid. What else? Did you have agents posted at a private elevator? Two. Notify their families. Have you had any contact with the aggressors? I killed two. Is that contact? Look, one of them told me they're going to bring this whole building down. What are you guys going to do about it? We're still evaluating the situation. There's no situation. They want money. A lot of it. Give it to them. If you fuck around and something happens to my kid... We're considering every possible response. If you're not going to pay, say so. I'll get my daughter. Do not try any kind of rescue. Do you understand me? You would jeopardize the lives of the vice president and everyone else in the arena. Believe me, we know what the hell we're doing. Our agents are entering the arena. You stay where you are. We are going to do this by the numbers. What number was that? Three? What I said still goes. Don't do one damn They've thing. They've turned this whole place into one big bomb. Do you understand? We have a couple of bomb squads. They don't do us any good out there. I'll fight the bombs myself. McCord, you can't do anything alone. I'm not alone. See, I thought it, going back to Powers Booth being quippy, like I thought he was, I thought he was great. He was like subtle enough, but close to being over the top. Like he was menacing, I guess is the word, especially when he's dealing with the little girl, when he's dealing with Van Am's daughter and he just casually is like, would you like it if I filled your <laughs> mouth with spiders or whatever he says? Like he's, he's a terrifyingly like creepy villain. He I was. Well, he was very, I mean, he was sociopathic. Oh yeah. Like, he was like one of the most sociopathic villains. I think I we've talked about yet on this show. Why would you say that? What makes you? What makes him more sociopathic than some of the others? I think well because when he's sitting in that room with everybody, like there's nobody that he won't kill, right? Like women and children, he will kill them. Like he doesn't care. Like he's pointing the gun at people's wives and stuff like that, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, he he has two sons and his wife's pregnant." He's like, "I'll send mm-hmm. a card." Like he just doesn't give a shit who he's going to kill. So it's kind of like. I think about like The Rock, right? And he was going to blow up San Fran, but he wasn't really. Like he was like, that was a bluff and da 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 da. That's kind of how the bad guys are in the films. They want the least amount of violence. Where Powers Booth is sitting there with a detonator and being like, all right, let's see how many bombs you found. Like he was literally going to blow up that entire stadium of 17,000 people and smile the whole time doing it and making quippy puns and everything like that. Like, I don't think you could find a villain that we have talked about yet on Second Chance Cinema or maybe even in the history of cinema that is more sociopathic, that wants to kill more people than Powers Booth. I think we actually no, because I was going to say on Rushmore, it was villains that you actually agree with and i don't agree with powers booth at all in this film but he is i would say he's one of the most careless caring less uh villains that we we've talked about would you like a glass of wine or a cigarette it's customary to offer these minor vices to someone before they die I'm not afraid of you. Oh, sure you are. I'm the scariest person you've ever seen. You're the meanest. Am I now? How do you suppose I got that way? Maybe when you were born, you had something wrong with your brain. Don't you know any little boys like me? If there were any at my school, they'd get expelled. Oh, I can assure you there are one or two. I'm going to kill your daddy. What do you think about that? He promised he'd take me home. He always does what he says. So do I. (laughs) Like, can you name a more sociopathic one? I mean, you're talking about sociopathy on like a large scale, you know, like blowing up the stadium and 17,000 people. When I hear sociopath, I think more like deliberate and joker or something like that where it's not like a massive 
scene going on. Um, but even with like Joker, like Joker cares about the chaos that he is creating, right? Like the whole like the two fairy situation that happens in the Dark Knight. He's like, I want to see what happens, right? Like he cares about that. Where Powers Booth is like, <laughs> fuck, just sink both fairies. <laughs> like, That's, uh, he cares you're about not, those you're people. Not and you just you just gave the greatest argument ever for Powers Booth. I think. I hope he hears this. I hope he's is he still alive. I hope he's still alive to hear this. He is still alive. I hope he hears this because that was just gushing over his performance. Makes a, a lot of sense. I'm very convinced. I never thought about his sociopathy because I felt like that was kind of a thing too in the nineties, like John Travolta's broken arrow villain. Like you're crazy. Yeah. Ain't it cool? Like there's like, there was a time where it was like the bad guy relished <laughs> being the bad guy. And like knowing that he was evil, that feels like a very nineties thing. Uh, John Lithgow and cliffhanger. Well, I mean, even, even like, Hans Gruber's maybe more comparable because, you know, there's a that's that's a big building, a lot of people inside. He's interested in the money, doesn't really care kind of what happens, but he's not as caricaturized, I guess, as Powers Booth. Like Powers Booth fits this his performance anyway. <laughs> Notice how we're not saying his character's name because I don't uh, know it. Um, <laughs> but but the po- the Powers Booth character fits perfectly in this movie it, as a action mm-hmm. movie that is somewhat self-aware that just kind of is like, you know, pedal to the floor. Hans Gruber let's was just, the start let's of that. just do it. Hans Gruber, I would argue, was the start of the villain being the co-star in action movies. You know, before that, the villain was just a guy for sure. the hero to kill. Um, maybe except in the, except for maybe Bond. But um, in when Hans Gruber came around, suddenly it was like, oh, the villain can be intelligent. He can match wits with the hero. He He's likable and charming in his own way, you know. Likeable, that's the thing, yeah. Like you you doesn't have to be dis- yes. it uh doesn't have to be right. disformed, you know, like in any way. Yeah. Can exactly. Be he's, he's dressed yeah, nicely. He's civilized, he's he's educated, you know, and that started with Hans Gruber and then and then in the nineties, I mean, you could see like who it was it became almost like the sixties Batman show, like who's gonna be the villain? What what actor is gonna play a villain in this action movie? Willem Dafoe, Dennis Hopper, John Lithgow, you know, and on and on. One of the things that um, – so we didn't really talk about the beginning of this movie. It's very fucked which up. Which is fucked up. <laughs> like there's no way – there's no other way to put it. As I sat down to watch it again over the course of the past two days, right when the opening credits came on, I was like, oh, fuck. I remember this. This is going to be really sad, isn't it? And sure enough, like they they did nothing to cull subtlety mm. into this <laughs> – this it was just brick to the fucking forehead child dead in his arms this yeah. is how we're going to introduce our hero i mean i hadn't that seen the movie up. in a long time and i watching it again i was like yeah I, I couldn't remember i was like i knew something bad happened but i was like he's probably going to get out of the house like they're going to pull him out like we we don't have time the building's going to blow and then he's going to have to leave the kid behind or something and it's going to but it's like nope right. you're just going to see a dead child in close up <laughs> Oh, yeah. God, even talking it about it is just like <laughs> icky. It yeah. was. It was like so disarming and um, probably pretty unnecessary because like you said, you know, it could have been – there could have been so many different ways to do it. Like you hear her screaming and then the house yeah. collapses and it's just, you know, we it's implied what happened. But no, he's literally just standing yeah. there, just, just laying there with this girl and, and – Somehow that's how he becomes a – he's referred to – I don't know if he's referred to in the movie, but all the character write-ups yes. him, he's a disgraced fireman, which I don't entirely get. Like if they would have gone into something about how, you know, he, he couldn't take it anymore, that was like his 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 breaking point moment or something like that. But it yeah. seemed like he was a pretty good fireman. <laughs> I think they were trying to go with the cliffhanger thing, like, you know, he couldn't let go of it. And he, and as a result, he then spiraled mm-hmm. into you know apathy and whatever. But that wasn't fully clear. You 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 as the viewer had to sort of make that connection. Whereas like if he it had been like you can't go in there, mm-hmm. you know you know the, or whatever, like he was told not to do something and he did it anyway, and then the kid died. To be clear, right, right. Well, I feel like there was some kind of like PTSD, you know, like because like you said, you got to make your own connections. But he got divorced for some reason, mm-hmm. and he seems like a pretty good father, right? Like, and it's Jean Claude Van Damme, so he's a good looking man you know like he didn't let himself go or anything but for whatever reason she married a new guy who was really nice as a stepdad he was like he was he was he was he was was very supportive of jacques that was very nice that was a nice guy and right when we meet him is when we're introduced to 
two essential elements later in the movie were introduced. I like to call this um, (laughs) Chekhov's rubber stamp and uh, Chekhov's sign language because they're introduced very early in the movie and boy, do they come back and and they are certainly used later in the film. And that is funny too, because Powers Booth went through a lot of trouble to put that disguise on. (laughs) No, he didn't. (laughs) No, he didn't. Did you see that? I mean, like he had it and everything like, so he like put it on, he did all the, like he changed his hair and everything like that. Walks out of the bathroom and immediately yeah. the girl's like, that's him. <laughs> that little girl, listen, listen, with all due respect to how difficult it is to write a child character, that little girl has just been rescued by her father <laughs> who repelled in off of the fucking scoreboard, threw a homemade bomb at the roof of the VIP box, landed, commando rolled out of the way, took out all the henchmen, saved everybody, and is now downstairs talking to the police about what had happened, holding her hand because he's he's so glad that he rescued her. And what's the first thing she does? Mm-hmm. She wanders the fuck away from him and, and looks over and says, Daddy, that's the man, Daddy. That's the man. Mm-hmm. She's like walking away, following. Powers Booth just wanted to get out of yeah. there. Like he just wanted to leave in his his dollar store <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer disguise. But she like, she like follows him. She's like determined. She's like vengeance. <laughs> Like she's like, you held right. me hostage for the last two You're hours. Away. Fucker, I'm going to get you. Daddy, look at his rubber stamp. And then, of yeah. course, what happens? He abducts her again. But also, I think we're forgetting, if we're going to talk about scenes that make you go, okay, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme stopped a hockey shot. <laughs> he won the Stanley <laughs> Cup. As a goalie. The, he won the Stanley so, Cup for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Here's the thing, though, is that when he was in the, like, at first, like, he goes out, he ices, or he ices, he skates out, and I'm like, people are going to realize that that's not their buddy, right? Like, in because the masks are so see-through. Feeling better? Get the fuck in there. And here he comes. <laughs> And then when he's in the goal and they're all coming at him, one, there was a lot of fast breaks by the Chicago Blackhawks. I was like, what are the rest of the Penguins doing that these people are getting clear, clear lanes to the goal to like to press upon Jean-Claude Van Damme? But then I'm sitting there being like, Jean-Claude Van Damme, this dude has so much reaction. Like he's got the reflexes of a cat, right? Like I believe this man can stop a goal. So I was actually, by the time that he does it in the movie, I was like, of course he did. Of course, that's fucking Jean-Claude Van Damme out there. Of course he's going to stop that goal. But what happened to Tolliver? Because Tolliver got, everybody's Tolliver got fined a thousand dollars for punching that poor dude in the face, which, which is a very modest fine for just, just aggressive, <laughs> naked aggression on, <laughs> on and I play. did like the coach. The coach is like anger throughout the whole thing was just oh hockey. <laughs> that was hockey. Fun. Mike Ditka was was this- awesome. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no. At first, like when he's like ice, like what ice? Why do I want to say ices? When he skates out, I was like, come on now, come on. But then, as the scene kept on like unfolding and going, I was like, I am really into this moment in this movie right now. Oh, what a save by Brad Tolliver. That has to be the save of the year. And he ought to get five to ten for Robbie Tony Amani and the Hawks on that to keep the Penguins within a goal. And then, right, like the other thing that I love about the movie is that his son, who is like, Fucking just smearing his father across. Well, he's just a, he's not even a fireman. He changes light bulbs. Like I wanted to like slap him across the face, <laughs> but you shouldn't with children. But I want to say <laughs> <laughs> that that kid sits in the seat the entire game and is like, I can't move. And like the guy Hallmark comes over to try and like get him to move. And he's like, I'm not moving. Like that kid's arc was just to sit in the seat the entire game. And I loved it. And then after he saves the goal, he does the sign language, I love you, to his son in the stands. And his son is just flabbergasted that his father's on the... I loved everything about... When the scene started, I was like, come on, bro. Come on. By the time the scene ended, I was like, this might be my favorite scene in the movie. I wonder how he was so... uh, How it was so easy for him to spot Mm -hmm. his son in the stands all the way up there. Like, I get that he's the fire marshal and he knows the building pretty well. But I mean, that's a lot of people. It might have been like a general area. No, I get it. Yeah, he was sort of just... 30 blondes that think that he was saying it to them. And they're all... Everybody's (laughs) doing it back. Thinking Tolliver's 
professing his love to, you know, but the girl in the section 132. That, right. that whole scene leads to the sign language moment, which exists only sort of to redeem Van Damme in the eyes of his son. But they get to it in such a clunky way because at the beginning of the movie, they're doing sign language and he goes, well, she's practicing to be deaf. <laughs> it's like, what? Like... <laughs> Just yeah, such a, such like a little practicing. shit, that like, kid. Couldn't they have had it like, she is deaf or her friend is deaf? Or, or maybe it's just a thing that they do. I mean, fucking Face Off had that stupid <laughs> waterfall that gimmick thing. like out of nowhere. It was a revelation, I suppose, and especially in the uh, in the in the context of this movie, the <laughs> the arc of the rubber stamp and and the sign language gesture. You know, as soon as as soon as they hit their second beats, like when she stamped Powers Booth and when he signed to his his son in this crowd, yeah. you're just like, okay, well, I get it now. It all makes sense. Everything that they set up, it's all about the Chekhov's gun because it's. He mentions that he played hockey, semi-pro. He goes and he plays hockey. Yeah, the kid sneaks a water right. pistol into the game. He uses it to light a guy on fire. Yeah. You know, sign language, rubber stamps, like every single thing that they set up. <laughs> pans out by the end of the movie there's no stone left unturned so credit no and i mean that's not a bad thing like that was all like i love the super soaker flamethrower that he made that was great and when i I remember when i was a kid and saw the scene where hallmark comes back and he's all like barbecued and shit like that was gross that was friday the 13th stuff right there like that was jason Voorhees coming out of the dark because that was really unexpected you you just think like oh he's burning and he's he's dead he's disposed of and then it's not that much long after because Van Damme shoots this little little tinkle of, of lighter fluid at him, <laughs> not even like gasoline or kerosene, like lighter fluid and shoots it, you know, like you do with hairspray and a lighter. Somehow that little tiny stream <laughs> catches Hallmark on fire from head to toe. And then like two minutes later, he must have just been stop dropping and rolling that whole time because then two minutes later, he comes back. I don't remember even seeing any like burn marks on his suit. <laughs> It's just it's just his his crispy face and he's just like <laughs> how likely do you guys think it is that nobody would have noticed that the popcorn bags were full of machine guns. I imagine the weight of a pot, giant stadium-sized popcorn bag is significantly less than a decoy popcorn bag filled with several machine guns. I feel like stadiums pop their own popcorn. Maybe not in the 90s. I don't know. I just want to say that if either of you are thinking of early Christmas gifts for me, I would love a lighter <laughs> shaped like a detonator that um, that is that, that is functional. Um, no, that's another just, trope. The movie Ricochet with Denzel Washington uses the same thing where he brings a detonate. You've never seen Ricochet? I don't remember but this. He, he, I, what are you going to say? I don't quite uh, remember Ice where T you're going. Ice-T is uh, Denzel Washington's childhood friend who's now a gangster, and Denzel Washington is a cop. And he's uh, he's dealing drugs at the basketball courts in like Denzel Washington's neighborhood. So he goes into the crack house and he, with a grenade, and he's like, you want to die? We all die. You know, No more dealing drugs in my basketball court. And whatever. And then I see he's like, all right, all right, you made your point. You know, we're not good. And then he goes outside, and the guy's like, man, you're crazy. He's like, you think so? And he lights a cigarette with the grenade that's a cigarette lighter. <laughs> this one was one of those, like, it, it struck me the same way as. I guess to go back to another Van Damme movie, Street Fighter, when all of M. Bison's like troopers and his headquarters, like they all have these really fancy uniforms and patches and things like that. Like somebody had to make them. They had to order those from somewhere. They had to mock them up. Someone had to design them. You know, they had to... They had to place orders with suppliers, probably for large quantities, bulk discounts and things like that. And then some plastic fabrication company, who knows where, got an order for 2000 M. Bison (laughs) visors. Do you think it was like whoever was whoever made the bombs for him gave it to him as like a thank you gift? Like, thanks for hiring us. Here's your here's your complimentary. I feel like that's risky. Like what? Like we're going to make like the detonator that looks like a detonator, but it's a lot like what if he just misplaced it and was like, oh, shit, like I just blew up our van of popcorn. Oh, that was the other thing. There were so many bombs outside the stadium and there was a guy across (laughs) the street with a rocket launcher on the roof. (laughs) Not enough. (laughs) Like, what was that guy's purpose, I wonder? Because in the movie, he blows up the – it's not the Jumbotron. It's like the outside score sign sign that Van Damme's using to communicate. 
to everybody with? Like, did they anticipate that Van Dam was going to do it? Like, was there a meeting? Like, okay, so if we have any heroic tendency flies in the ointment in here, they're probably going to go to the room where you control the big sign and try to type messages. So, Billy, you know what you're going to do? You have the most important job. <laughs> you go on the roof with a rocket launcher, and in case anybody comes out, you get to shoot them. And he was like, all right. And the little, the little did he know, he was actually going to get a chance to, <laughs> you know, prove his worth. Wow. I feel like it's one of those things where Powers Booth was waiting for a game seven, and he just, like, <laughs> kept coming up with, like, new henchmen, like, locations and places. Oh, and that's, he was a, like, that's a good theory. He's like, you know what we need? We need a guy with a machine gun on the retractable roof. <laughs> And then we need a second person just in case somebody takes out that person. So he just he like, just keeps yeah. building the sandwich. It's just meat on top of meat on top of meat. Like every year that the penguins don't make game seven, he comes up with a new henchman idea. He gets more and more angry. And you know what to do? Just keep thinking of more and more elaborate things. And that guy had to like practice for that moment. So he was out in like Tennessee with like ten rocket launchers, just well, also, constantly practicing. Because I mean that was a great shot. Well, it was, like, but it wasn't like he was that far away way like the, the the you could see where the the rocket came from <laughs> like the fbi guys all they had to do was look right and they're like oh there he is let's go get yeah. him but no the stream the guy, of smoke yeah i mean but the guy just kind of like walked <laughs> off the roof no <laughs> and was never seen again unless he that was the other be. guy in the helicopter at the end because there were two henchmen in the helicopter at the end uh, that he ends up shooting and then the one grabs the stick and all that. Go back to what Jeremy said though, like about like the setup and payoff thing. I was, I didn't think about it at the time because I thought it was like a sweet line, but the beginning where he, the, the girl dies in his arms and then Powers Booth like last line is like, I'm not going to kill you. I want you to live with the fact that you couldn't save your little girl. And it's like he was living with the fact that he couldn't save a little girl. So that was, that was well done too. What I noticed about watching it this time was like I knew everything that was going to happen. I knew that he was going to throw the guy off the roof. I knew that he was going to be able to like save himself from falling down on the ice. I knew everything that was going to happen, but I was still feeling suspense, if that makes sense. Like I was still like like invested in how it was going to happen. Even though I knew, I was still like, oh man, this is this is gripping me. I'm feeling this. And I think that, you know, I don't know if that makes it a great movie, but it was an enjoyable experience to rewatch it after so many years. I would agree. Yeah, this is definitely, uh, yep. as we said before, this was that period where Van Damme was making movies that, you know, maybe were not Terminator 2 level, but they were high quality entertainment. Like he was not, you know, Bloodsport and Death Warrant and Cyborg. He was kind of on the Bloodsport was really good, but then there was a lot of like Golem Globus cheapy action movies, and then the quality started coming in, and this was that that tip of the of the roller coaster. The other cool thing that is that's out there is Screen Rant did a ten film list of films inspired by Die Hard, like the Die Hard makeup model, mm-hmm. but do something even better than Die Hard. And uh, Sudden Death is on there saying that the set pieces were better than Die Hard was one of the 10 films. And actually, the tempo of this movie was really, really exciting because it was Mm -hmm. based on the game clock, right? Like it was Mm -hmm. the the stakes were all based on the game clock, which is a little bit different than like, hey, the FBI had, okay, you've got two hours, right? It's more like it like it was more real time. It felt more real time because it would cut back and forth between Van Damme running around disarming bombs and beating up people. And then it would cut to action of the game. And you'd say, oh, they're in the first, you know, the first period. And when it got time to sudden death, that's another thing that I wonder if Powers Booth planned for. Like if one of his henchmen like was real mousy and raised his hand like, "Uh, (laughs) sir, what if it's a tie? (laughs) Like, what do we do? But he did it because he was literally about to just blow up everything. Like he was like just sitting there like with his little detonator and then he was like he chuckles, you know, as soon as they score the goal and he's like <laughs> mm. Like everybody gets to live, but he was like, seriously, like, oh, if you know, if this fails, I die and we all die together, like sociopath. But I was an idiot because in the third period, I was actually watching this on the treadmill. And as I'm running, I was like, man, the third period's almost over and the, the movie still has like 25 minutes to go. And then I was like, ah, you fucking moron. It's sudden death. It's the title of the film. Oh, They're obviously yeah. going through it. Like I, I didn't put two and two together and actually verbally said that I was a moron. <laughs> it's a thinker. If any. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is is a thinker, Jeremy. You look like no. You were I was say just something. thinking about you know that the whole diehard trend. 
that was so big post Die Hard. And I was trying to think, is this the last one of those? Because it, it eventually died off. Uh, and they've sort of tried to bring it back like The Rock did Skyscraper. But for a while, it was everywhere. It was under siege. It was speed. You know, it was on and on and on. But was this like was was this the peak? Could, could they go any higher after this? Well, that's what. So this list of like the 10 films, they have mm-hmm. Air Force One. Mm-hmm. They have okay. uh, The Rock, Under Siege. Oh, yes. Toy Soldiers. Nice. <laughs> Meet and Underpants the movie. <laughs> Cliffhanger. Oh, good one. Passenger 57. Oh, good mm-hmm. one. The Raid. Yep. Con Air. And then the last one is called Becky, which I guess came out in 2020. I've never heard of it, but now I'm going to check it out. No Dread, huh? Poor Dread. No Dread. That's a shame. No respect. Well, Spro, you want to do five questions? Let's do it. All right. Five questions. When we... Um, Google, the name of the movie, Google presents us with five commonly asked questions. And since Spro is our resident cinema expert, he's going to try to answer all of them. I'm going to laugh at the, one of them. <laughs> is this based off a true story? <laughs> yes, the 1995 okay. Stanley Cup Finals. All right. Five questions. Question number one about sudden death. Is the movie Sudden Death on Netflix? No. It's not nope. streaming anywhere, as far as yeah, I can yeah, tell. I nope. to buy it for three ninety nine on Prime. Amazon. <laughs> okay, these questions are great. What is the movie Sudden Death about? So give me your elevator pitch right here. All right. It's about a French-Canadian fire marshal with a certain set of skills that is needed to protect the vice president, his two children, and 17,000 fans from a sociopathic powers booth at the Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals in Pittsburgh. Well done. I think that sums it up (laughs) pretty well. All right. The next one, and I have no idea where this came from. It just says, what's the saddest movie death? Would it be Icy the Penguin? Is that why? Or Joan, who is found hanging off the door. Oh, Joan, the original Penguin? I feel bad for Joan. I feel bad for the guy. I never like it when innocent bystanders get killed in the movie. It always bums me out. There's a lot of sad deaths in this movie. (laughs) Who is Matthew Hallmark in Sudden Death? He is a turned FBI agent who is excited to be rich. That's right. He's decided to be rich. He's got very like villain teeth. Like his teeth remind me of like the xenomorph from Aliens. Did you think another little Hallmark was going to pop out of his mouth? (laughs) (laughs) Felt like he'd been a copper FBI agent in another movie. But after that question, the algorithm points me toward a lot of Hallmark channel questions, which I don't think we probably need to get into right now. A lot of Lacey Chabert questions and Rachel Lee Cook. So... All that said, watching Sudden Death again was a treat because like I said, this was a movie that was like I Van Damme was a huge part of my childhood is now a huge part of my like my life just based on my history with like martial arts and stuff like that. Like that was a very fun time to be able to watch movies. And this movie was one that I was happy to revisit again. So Jeremy, thank you for recommending it. Thank you for uh, suggesting it. I never thought I'd get to this age, but I really about that. Like they don't make movies like this anymore. I also never thought I'd be saying that about sudden death, but they don't make those, (laughs) these kinds of like, you know, just pure, nonsensical, over-the-top, entertaining action movies that are silly, but also engaging and and creative in their own in in their violence and uh, in their villainy. And the, the, you know, it's it's just a, it it feels like it's it was like a glimpse into another era. Well, it was, but I mean, you know, feel like a bygone era because. I'm trying to think even the last time I, I saw a movie that was like an action movie that was not connected to a franchise or based on a comic book or anything like that. It was, you know. Or like even really like arty and, and you know, yeah. stylized yeah, and stuff. So like, I get what you're saying. This was just raw yeah. Van Damme. This was just Van Damme, like you said at the beginning, Van Damme at his peak. We this was major Van Damage. Spro, any final thoughts? Um, the only thing that I didn't really say that I really liked about the movie was that everything is happening at the same time. And so there's some really cool like cuts that happen when like Jean-Claude Van Damme is like dismantling the bombs or whatnot. And they'll just cut in what is happening in the booth with Powers Booth talking to his hostages and whatnot. And so like it's a very quick cut where everything, like you said earlier, the pacing is just amazing in the film. And so that's what that and Powers Booth being the most sociopathic villain I think I've ever seen are like the two reasons I would say like go check this movie out. 
Very, very underrated performance from the villain. And we see that a lot in second chance cinema movies. And, and and this is the second time it's happened in a Van Damme movie. The first, of course, being Street Fighter. Jeremy, I think you nailed it. This is just a movie that is just turn off your brain and watch and it's awesome. Very rarely these days, it you know, it, it is uh, what you get. So you guys who are listening, you can't see this now, but I'm about to sign... To Spro and Jeremy, just like Van Damme did at the game. One more time, I'll do it. I think this was it. I love you. Not exactly the hardest sign to learn, if it is even correct. Um, I'm not sure that's official ASL, but I'm also pointing it out to you, the listener. I, my little pinky, love across my chest, you, point. And that said, I thank you very much for joining us on behalf of Spro. And Jeremy, this has been another uh, overtime edition, a sudden death edition of uh, Second Chance Cinema. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or would like to recommend a movie for a future show, you could reach us at secondchancecinema at gmail.com. That's 2ndchancecinema at gmail.com. We have a Second Chance Cinema Facebook group. You could find us on Twitter at MCNSpro or check us out on Instagram at 2ndchancecinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us. Leave a review wherever you listen and be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to as those simple steps makes us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible and isn't that really the whole point now go on and have a beautiful day you wonderful person you and if it's not a beautiful day outside stay in and rediscover a gem from the past